You're listening to WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale. I'm Lauren Smith, and with me today is Dr. Jeff Zwiering, an astrophysicist and research scholar at Reasons to Believe. He is the author of Escaping the Beginning, Is There Life Out There?, and Who's Afraid of the Multiverse?, and co-author of Building Bridges and the Impact Events Student Devotional Series. He is also a project scientist at UCLA. Dr. Zwiering, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for the invitation, Lauren. Looking forward to our conversation today. Let's start by talking a little about Reasons to Believe, where you currently work as a research scholar. What is the organization's mission, and how did you get involved? So the mission of Reasons to Believe is to show people that science and the Christian faith work together, and that this is a tool to engage people with the gospel, because oftentimes people see science as an adversary, and science and Christianity as being adversaries. And uh, founder and uh, CEO of Reasons to Believe, Dr. Hugh Ross, was uh, I heard him speak actually when I was back in college, and it just got me, I was studying physics, and it got me thinking, hey, I kind of had this sense of tension between science and Christianity, and what I realized is that if God created the universe and God created or uh, inspired the scriptures, then what he's revealed in both of those have to agree. And so I see that science is one of the tools God has given to understand his revelation and creation, and we just want to use that to show how they line up, how the Bible, science and Christianity line up, and then use that to share the gospel with people. And so I got connected with reasons to believe, uh, let's see, I guess it was back in 1988, so uh, better than 30 years ago, and have uh, been full-time on staff for coming up on 20 years now. My economics professor always told us it's not rocket science when we were learning how to manipulate supply and demand graphs. And I'm guessing for you that as an astrophysicist, you never found that cliche all that encouraging. So at what point did you know that astrophysics was what you wanted to study, and how did you get into the field? So I've been interested in science for as long as I can remember. One of my earliest memories, I was three years old, sitting at the top of the stairs. My dad, who was a chemist, was downstairs giving a chemical demonstration or a science demonstration to a group that my older brother was involved in. And he would take a ball, dip it in liquid nitrogen, throw it on the wall, and it'd shatter, put chemicals together, and you get cool noises, weird shapes, and odd smells, and just do all sorts of things where it looks like magic, but you understand why it works the way it does. And I love doing demonstrations like that. So for as long as I can remember, I've been interested in science. Uh, when I went into high school, I took a chemistry class, a couple of chemistry classes, loved chemistry. But when I got into my senior year, I took physics. And for as much as I enjoyed chemistry, I loved physics. So I went into uh, college to get a degree in physics, and I got a, got a degree in physics. But while I was there, that was when I encountered uh, Hugh Ross. And it got me thinking, hey, if I am interested in science and I'm interested in Christianity, I can do those two things together and just recognize that astrophysics had a little bit more of the intersection between the science-Christianity connection. And so I went into graduate school and got a degree in astrophysics. And so that's kind of my journey of a lifelong scientist who was going to be a chemist and then a physicist and then an astrophysicist. What would you say to Christian students like you who want to study science but feel there's a tension or a wedge between what their professor's teaching in class and what they read in the Bible? I would first say pursue scientific careers. God has created this world and designed us to want to know and understand how this world works. 
and to pursue that as a wholehearted, God-honoring career path to study. In the midst of that, recognize that there are going to be these tensions and areas that look like they're conflict that are raised, either because we don't have complete data or because somebody has a particular viewpoint or they're only giving part of the story. But in those instances where you sense, hey, there's a tension here, make it a commitment that you will dig in and understand what that's what the source of attention is. What's the scientific data? What's the biblical data? Because my experience has been every time I've made that commitment and dug in and understood what I thought was attention ultimately was resolved by further study, by learning and investigating more. Those tensions have either disappeared or I realize they're not nearly as strong attention as I thought they were. And so make that commitment to investigate them because what I have found, the more I have done that, these things that I think appeared like they could be a place where science might be showing the Bible wrong, I've found become more and more convinced that as I investigate things scientifically, I will find things that actually the the research will show the validity of the Bible. And so it's strengthened my faith. And and then the last thing I would say is to make sure that when you're doing these studies, God has not designed us to be lone, isolated Christians. Make sure you're in a community of believers where you can have these discussions, because the Church has investigated a lot of these things for centuries, if not millennia, and being able to interact with other Christians and get a perspective bigger and draw on the knowledge beyond what you have has been invaluable for me as well. So pursue the science, investigate the tensions, and make sure you're part of a godly Christian community. You're listening to WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale. I'm Lauren Smith, and with me today is astrophysicist Dr. Jeff Zwierink, a research scholar at Reasons to Believe. The James Webb Telescope recently made headlines when it sent back some seriously awe-inspiring images of outer space. I've heard that one of the images captured was the first we've directly taken of an exoplanet, which is a planet outside of our solar system. So can you tell me a little bit more about this image? What challenges have prevented us from getting such an image before? So the topic or the idea of going out and finding planets beyond our solar system seems like conceptually such an easy idea. I mean, we've got eight planets orbiting the sun, but the challenge is when you go out and look that the light from the planet is very small compared to the light from a star. And I grew up in the Midwest, and we would go out and capture these things, that, you know, lightning bugs in the middle of the night, or, you know, right, at, right as you're coming up on sunset, and, you know, you put them in jars and collect them. And these are the cool bugs that their rear ends light up. And, uh, fascinating study and how well designed that is. But imagine if you could take one of these lightning bugs and set it on the edge of the most powerful spotlight that we've created, and then say, build me an instrument that can find the light of the firefly in the midst of this huge beam of light coming out of the spotlight. Because planets orbit around stars, that's pretty equivalent to the challenge we face in finding exoplanets. And so the fact that we can find any of them is remarkable. James Webb Space Telescope was able to look at one of these er, stars where we knew there was a planet, but because of it being out in space, because of the large collection area of the mirror, because of the incredible instruments and the good optics, it was able to take an image of the light from one of these planets 
right up next to the star. So it blocked out the light from the star, and it could see the image of the planet. And we knew that planet was there, so it wasn't like it just found a new planet. But by making these measurements, it turns out that it was a, the James Webb Telescope worked about 10 times better than what we expected. So it's going to be really exciting to see what else the James Webb will tell us about extrasolar planets. It can do that job very well, but it's we're going to do that. It's going to do that occasionally. Really, it's its uh, main use is to do things that we can't do any other way. And it's it's just a fascinating telescope. So I'm really excited about what sorts of images that James Webb is going to bring and what we will learn simply because we can see parts of the universe either that we couldn't see before or we're seeing them with far greater sensitivity than we could before. So there's a popular question, obviously, when it comes to exoplanets, which is, are there any little green men living out there? The James Webb Telescope seems to offer hope that if there is life outside the solar system, we might have a chance of finding it. I know you've written extensively on this topic in Is There Life Out There? But could you tell me more about whether you expect to see discoveries of life on other planets? And is that something Christians should be worried about? So this is what, it's a great question, because I think Christian people throughout human history have been fascinated with this question. In fact, yeah, I, I did a little bit of research when I was preparing to write the book and found that you can find documented cases of people speculating about whether there's life out in the universe well back before the time of Christ. And I, you know, I kind of jokingly say, it wouldn't surprise me if Adam and Eve were arguing about this in the Garden of Eden. It's just a question that fascinates humanity. And because it helps us understand our place in the cosmos. Uh, you know, so what I found as I was doing the research for this is that this was not a question that Christians have just started to think about. In fact, Christians have thought about this for a long time. So I'll answer your question of, as a Christian, do I find this troubling? And then I'll kind of weigh in with some of the scientific uh, effort of what we're going to find. But Christians have been talking about this forever. Um, and we've got long before science could weigh in on the topic, Christians have thought about, well, what happens if we find life out there? Interesting to note, Galileo, very prominent scientist, uh, started using telescopes to look out into the heavens. He thought that life was, or Earth was the only place where there was life in the universe. His contemporary, Galileo was also a very devout Christian, his contemporary, Kepler, who was also a very devout Christian, thought God had created life on all the different bodies out there. So here you have two very devout Christians arguing about whether Earth is the only place with life or whether life is scattered throughout the universe. So this is not a new discussion or argument within Christianity. It's a fascinating theological question. Did God only create life here, or did God create life throughout the universe? Scientifically speaking, it's a fascinating question as well, mainly because it's such a difficult one to answer. I mean, here we've built this phenomenal telescope, and we're just being able to take images of planets around distant stars, and even this is one that we wouldn't expect to have life on. So we're still struggling to be able to even find the light from the planets that might be Earth-like. And so it's a real fascinating question as to what we're going to find scientifically. It will probably be many decades before we can actually look at a planet and say, is there life there or not? Most of what we're going to get is unless there's life out there that's actually directing information toward us, 
we're probably not going to find them, at least in my lifetime. So I think it's a fascinating scientific discovery. And what we've found, as we've looked at the Earth and looked at the cosmos, is that we see great evidence that our Earth, our solar system, our galaxy, our cluster of galaxies, the water that's on our our planet, the interior of the Earth, all the tectonic activity, all of that works together in a very orchestrated fashion so that life not only exists, but it thrives in great abundance. And so we see evidence of a divine plan to make sure that we are here and can see what's going on in the cosmos. And so if God has done that here, it raises that very fascinating theological question. Did he do it somewhere else, or is this the only planet where he's done it? I think it's a great scientific question, and it's a fascinating theological question. You mentioned that Earth is designed specifically so that we can really see what's going on beyond our own planet. Can you elaborate a little more on that and tell me more about what makes us so special? When we look out into the heavens, it turns out you know, we, we see with our eyes, we see things in visible light. Our atmosphere tends to be fairly transparent to visible light, allows us to see out in the cosmos. Um, but when you look at other kinds of light, ultraviolet light, infrared light, radio waves, x-rays, gamma rays, it turns out our atmosphere actually keeps <clears throat> a lot of those things. They're not, those don't propagate through the atmosphere. And that's actually a very good thing, because if x-rays and gamma rays came through the atmosphere, that would be very detrimental to life, particularly advanced life like humanity. So the atmosphere actually shields the surface of the Earth from all of this deadly radiation that just pervades outer space. If you go up, put a detector on top of the atmosphere, there are a thousand gamma rays every second that hit a square meter of detector up there. Those gamma rays and x-rays are absorbed before they get down to the surface of the Earth where they could do damage to life here on Earth. So we see a lot of evidence that Earth is designed. But now we ask the question, okay, so we want to see out into the heavens. Well, you've got to have telescopes that can do that. Our optical telescopes exist, operate in that same range where our eyes can see and allow us to see out into the heavens. If we want to build infrared telescopes, like the James Webb Telescope, we have to put that up on top of the atmosphere. Um, if you want to see X-rays and gamma rays, again, you got to go up on top of the atmosphere. Radio waves, that you can do that some on the ground, some you have to be up on the top, of, or you have to go up other places. But one of the things that's fascinating is that we live in a region of the Milky Way galaxy where there's not a lot of dust around. If there was a lot of dust around, our X-ray or our other telescopes wouldn't be able to penetrate through it. We live in a pretty transparent part of the universe, and that allows us to see a great amount of the universe. If our star was in the center of the galaxy, not only would it be exposed to a lot of deadly radiation, but there's just a lot of dust and other materials there that would keep us from actually looking out and seeing what's going on in the universe. So we are located at a very good place that allows us to see most of the universe and get a very good picture of how the universe behaves, how it started, how it's gotten to this place, and what our place is in it. And all of that points to a creator who wants us to know that information. You're listening to WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale. I'm Lauren Smith, and with me today is Dr. Jeff Zwierink, an astrophysicist and research scholar at Reasons to Believe. 
The James Webb Telescope is only one of many incredible scientific advancements over recent years and even over the past few months. What new discovery or invention is your personal favorite, and what do you think it can teach us about God's role in creation? One particular interest instrument that I am excited about it because because I happen to be working on it is a balloon payload that we're going to fly up over Antarctica that is looking for this obscure kind of particle. And I'll give a little bit of background just because it's kind of interesting. Is you know we we know that hydrogen is made of a proton, and you can take a proton or put a neutron in that, and you get deuterium. It's kind of uh, called heavy hydrogen. And if you take a proton and a neutron, that's a deuteron. Make that an antiparticle, and that's the instrument that I am building is a, an instrument that can detect that kind of particle. Now, why that's interesting is if there are these anti-deuterons floating through and we detect them in our detector, and by detect them, I mean five or six of them over 30 or 40 days, that discovery will tell us what dark matter is. Because we know that dark matter pervades the universe, it's in our galaxy, it's between galaxies, it just fills the universe, but it has this very odd property that dark matter, a particle of dark matter can just go through the earth and hardly ever interact. And so we built this instrument that dark matter, are one of our best candidates for dark matter is that its own, its own antiparticle. And if these two particles of dark matter were to happen to collide, they could make one of these anti-deuterons. And so if we can find one of these anti-deuterons, which I'm hopeful that we can, I suspect we probably won't see one, but I'm hopeful that we do. If we do, that will tell us this dark matter that we've known exists in the universe, that we've made lots of measurement of how much it is and where it is, but we still don't know what it is. This, this, that discovery would tell us what it is. Uh, the guy that uh, runs the project would probably get a Nobel Prize, and I'm just excited to be able to be a part of that kind of research. And so it's really cool that we can build instruments that find these obscure things, but yeah, they tell us a great deal about what's going on in the universe. That's amazing. I had no idea we were that close to potentially discovering dark matter, which has been elusive for so long. I agree, and I'm real excited, and I, I'm cautiously optimistic that we might find something. It would be fascinating. The, the, the particular instrument is called GAPS, and have been working on that for a decade now, and it, it does kind of just illuminate some of the mindset of scientists. We've known about dark matter for 80 years, and we still have yet to find the particle behind it. I think we're getting close to that, but you can see the persistence and determination and ingenuity of scientists in trying to figure out what in the world this dark matter is. Suppose now for a second you're a Christian college student and you're reading the newspaper and you come across an article that talks about something like this and it presents the new discovery, for example, as proof that there is no creator. Suppose it seems pretty compelling in the moment. Assuming you're that college student and you're not necessarily an expert in the material, where do you turn for more information or alternate viewpoints? So one of the first things I would do is to try and find somebody in your local group of people. It may be a professor that happens to go to your church. It may be uh, one of the science professors in the university you're going to. Um, there are Christians scattered throughout those universities, and so see if you can find someone who might be able to talk to you and explain what's going on. 
barring that, I mean, I work at an organization called Reasons to Believe, uh, where we talk about these sorts of discoveries and try and help people understand what's the discovery, what's actually going on, and often what is the science-faith connection there. So I would go and try and find some resources that will help you start to think through that, recognizing that there are going to be times where you just have to be able to go in and look and say, all right, I saw this in an article or in a newspaper or on the TV. It's like, all right, so what was the actual discovery going on behind it? And is there a paper that I could go read? Scientific papers are written in a specific way, and they can be kind of difficult to read. But the more you read them, the better you get at reading them. And it will also often help you understand what was actually discovered so that you can sort out what the actual data is saying and what are the interpretations people are making on top of that. But the one thing I would say is go into that investigation with a confidence that God and his word God's, God's revelation and scripture and creation are going to show themselves to be reliable and consistent. As I've done that, I have, again, found more and more that they are. So don't be, you know, be aware of the tension that you've seen, but be willing to investigate it, uh, either by being able to talk to someone, read an article, or go into the scientific literature yourself. And you will find, as you do that, one, just the fascinating stuff that science gets to discover that we get to talk about and read about and do research on. But as you do that, you will find more and more evidence that God has revealed himself in Scripture is truly the God who has created everything. One last question for you. Suppose, again, you're that college student. Let's say you're chatting with a friend about the article, and they're convinced it's right and religion has been completely overturned by science. How do you recommend the student starts a conversation with that friend? One of the best pieces one of the best pieces of advice I received from my father in talking and learning how to talk to people is just to recognize that people enjoy talking about the things they enjoy. And so one of the tools you can use to draw that out is to ask questions. I would just start as I if I were that student by asking, okay, so what 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 is the discovery we're talking about? What have they found here? Uh, what is it? Is this something new? Is it something we've known before? Why does this seem to point away from a creator? Um, what I've found in those discussions by asking those questions, but two, or two things. One is that I need to really understand what Christianity actually says, because a lot of the times the things that will people say, oh, this will disprove Christianity, it is often something that some Christians might say, but not all, all Christians. So, for example, that, that's illustrated in my wrestling with how old was the universe. If you say, okay, well, we found the universe is 13, 14 billion years old. Christianity says it's a few thousand, therefore it's wrong. It's like, well, no, that's not really the case. There are some Christians who say that, but that's not what Christianity demands. So just because you found evidence that the universe is much older doesn't mean that Christianity is wrong. So make sure you understand what Christianity does and doesn't say. But then beyond that, find out why this person finds that piece of evidence compelling. Um, there is not a single reason why somebody thinks Christianity is wrong. Sometimes they don't see how the evidence comports well uh, or how this discovery aligns with Christianity, and maybe you can offer insight into that. Maybe they just don't want Christianity to be true, and that's a different discussion than what does the evidence have to say. Maybe that they're just having a bad day. I've, I've encountered all sorts of different responses, and what I found is that more important 
than being able to give an answer and explain all the details. It's being able to engage in a relationship with the person and see what it is that's really troubling them. And don't be afraid to say, you know, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to go look into that and get back to you. I would far rather somebody be honest with me about what they know and come back with a genuine answer than to try and just buffalo me or try and come up with something on the spot. And so focus more on engaging in the relationship with the person and prepare yourself to be able to talk about what Christianity has to say. As you do that, you will be able to, you're going to learn some about science, you're going to learn a whole lot of theology so that you're talking about who God is well. And in doing that, you're going to be able to engage in a relationship where you can demonstrate the truth of the gospel and how you interact with the person. And recognize that there's lots of good resources out there. Uh, You know, again, I'll recommend Reasons to Believe because I work there. Uh, But in terms of science-faith conflicts and issues that arise, there's lots of good resources to help you prepare to give a good response to someone who really thinks that the scientific evidence shows Christianity is wrong. This has been an absolutely fascinating discussion, Dr. Zwierink, and I think it will be a great encouragement for the students here. Thank you so much for joining me today. You are very welcome. I have enjoyed our time, and thank you for the invitation. To our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. Our guest has been Dr. Jeff Zwierink, astrophysicist and research scholar at Reasons to Believe. I'm Lauren Smith, and you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.